You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that we are here to worship you. Thank you that you have brought us here, that every single person who's here this morning, you have brought us all to this place because you want us here for a reason. You want to speak through your word. You have promised to be at work. You have given us Christ that we may see him and feel all of our fears, all of our worries melt away because of his goodness. Not that they don't go anywhere. There are struggles all around us, but in this time of worship, Lord, you have promised to give us rest in our weary souls. And so as we come to the preaching of your word, Lord, would you be at work powerfully speaking through your word that we would know who you are and be changed by an encounter with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, grace and peace to you this morning from God, our Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are going to be preaching from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Uh, it is on page 312 of the Bibles in the pew in front of you, or you can open your own copy of God's Word if you brought it. I also just want to draw your attention, if you are a visitor with us this morning at the beginning of the year, uh, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we have a little QR code on our worship folder, and we would love just for you to take a snapshot of it with your phone on the camera app, and it'll take you to our website where we just would love to know your name and your email, that we can reach out to you. Thank you for being here. Uh, we'd just love to know who you are, that we could connect with you. And if you are a member of our church, uh, we do have the black pew pads somewhere on the pews, hopefully, just so that we can also know that you're here and be praying for you as well. Well, the books of First and Second Kings, uh, they first of all contain the record of the kings of Israel and Judah. So that's good. But they also contain all of the stories of some of the incredible prophets, uh, Elijah and Elisha. Two prophets who, through God's grace and through the working of God's power and God's goodness, perform amazing and incredible miracles in order to point God's people back to him. And you can probably run through your mind and think of some of the hits of their ministry, right? These are the things that have probably landed in the children's Bibles that we read because they're amazing stories. Uh, there's the story of when Elijah single-handedly is facing down 400 prophets of Baal. And he mocks their false god, and he's sitting there, and they're trying to make sacrifices. And then he drenches his own sacrifice and then simply prays. And the Lord sends down fire from heaven to obliterate it, proving that the Lord is God. There's stories of both Elijah and Elisha raising faithful women's sons from the dead because they died unexpectedly and God cares for them. And so he uses his prophets to point towards to the fact that God is in charge and even conquers death itself in Christ. There's also that incredible story. This one is a hit. Uh, this one is where Elisha is a prophet and Israel and Syria have been at war, but Israel has the upper hand because they have Elisha. And, you know, prophecy, that's a pretty good advantage when you're in battle. And so the Syrian king comes to try to kill Elisha, but he's not afraid because he says those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he opens the eyes of his servant, and all around them, as far as the eye can see, God is protecting his prophets uh, by sending angels 
chariots of fire, incredible, powerful armies to protect his people. But we are not studying one of the hits this morning. We are studying instead a simple, ordinary story of God's uh, thoughtful care for ordinary days and ordinary problems. Uh, And it's just as powerful and just as gracious of God to work ordinary miracles instead of what we might think of as extraordinary, amazing things. So let's read this passage together. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a log. And let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, go. And then one of them said to him, I will be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water. And he cried out, alas, my master, it was borrowed. And then the man of God said, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, take it up. So the man reached out his hand and took it. Let's pray again briefly. Lord God, we have just read your word. And would you use it powerfully by your spirit in our lives? That we would know that it is you who speaks, that you who you work through your word. I pray in Christ's name. Now, almost every commentary that I consulted this week opened with some variation of the question that if you were reading through the Bible in your own devotional quiet time, you would probably ask the same question, which is, what does this mean? Why is this in the Bible? What point does this have to make? Does it mean that I shouldn't build next to waterfront properties? Does it mean that I shouldn't borrow axe heads from people? What do we do with a passage that's short and simple and it's over almost as quickly as it begun? Every passage in God's word is included for a reason. Right? Every time we're reading a story, every time we're reading something, no matter how small, God chose and made sure that it was here to instruct us in unique and powerful ways. And we need simple, ordinary stories like this in order to remind us that God cares for us in the simple and ordinary days of our lives. That God does not stop working powerfully when we're in ordinary times. He works powerfully in times when we need him to do incredible things, but he's also working powerfully every day. Even when there are huge problems all around us, when we're looking around and we see everything out there looks like it's going wrong, God still cares for you in ordinary, common days. The point of this story is actually pretty simple. It's just that God cares for his people. Uh, Elisha, in this passage, we see Elisha's not the only prophet alive at the time. He's actually the leader or the instructor of this group. They're known as the sons of the prophets. And they are around as Elisha is probably instructing them and teaching them the law of God, that they might be preachers and pastors and go out and instruct God's people and call them back into repentance and faith. And they look up one day and they suddenly realize a really ordinary problem has happened. 
their seminary, the place where they're staying, it's just too small for them. They need a bigger room. And so they decide one day to get up and move to a new place in order to go and build a bigger building. That's actually kind of notable, though. If you were to go back just one generation in the story of uh, Kings, there was a moment in time when Elijah thought that he was the only follower of the Lord left in all of Israel. He was hiding for his life on the top of a mountain, thinking he was all that was left. And eventually he did find other prophets, other faithful followers of the Lord, but they were also hiding out in caves so that they wouldn't die. And so in one generation, God has taken a hopeless situation and brought real revival so that his people are increasing in number. And so as they're going about their building campaign, because God has been faithful to them, one of them is swinging his axe, and the iron axe head, it just falls off, it flies off, and falls into the Jordan River. And unfortunately for this guy, he had borrowed it. Now, this is probably more equivalent to borrowing your friend's car and wrecking it than it is to going to Lowe's and buying a new axe. In this time, in the ninth century, right, the world was in the Iron Age. They knew how to make iron to smelt it. But just because they could do it didn't mean it was easy. Right, this would have been months of his wages that he simply just lost. He had a really good friend or, or maybe some lender who he had borrowed this axe head from. And when he lost it, he would have been put into some pretty serious debt. But God still chose to work a miracle to make iron float in order to solve this one guy's problem. Or God took an ordinary financial problem, a reputation that would have, he would have been embarrassed, a physical problem, and God worked a supernatural miracle in order to care for one person. And it's notable that this is a physical problem. Right? Sometimes we fall into the Mindset that God cares mostly for our spiritual improvement, right? character development, heart-level problems. But God is caring for his physical well-being. God cares for his people. God cares for every single person in this room. God cares for every single person on the face of the earth because they are his, because he makes us. But if you're trusting in Christ this morning... God cares for you in unique and particular ways. Because he has brought you into his family and you are a son or daughter of the king, God has decided that your problems are his problems too. Right? No matter how mundane or ordinary our problems are, God has chosen to care for you. He's not too busy dealing with the pandemic. He's not giving priority to the prayers of the persecuted church and other places, right? He's not putting your prayer requests on hold because there's an unprecedented surge in call volume. God hears every single prayer that you always pray every single day. And God's omnipotence, in his omniscience, in his ultimate and perfect love, God hears every single prayer request that you ever give, and he cares for even your smallest problems. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me to pray way more than I do. It really motivates me to think about actually walking through every day in a state of dependence and of prayerfully giving to the Lord every little thing that comes up through my day. 
I think that's what it means to pray without ceasing, is to live in a state of dependence. And as you're walking through the day and you're not sure what to do, you're constantly lifting it up to the Lord and asking for him to be gracious, for his will to be done. And sometimes God will hear your prayer request of your tiny, ordinary problem, maybe even a bigger problem in your life, and God will work miracles in order to solve your everyday things. And if you don't believe that, I have the homework assignment for you, but you can do it very quickly. Before you leave this room, if you don't believe that God will do unexpected and mighty things for your ordinary problems, on your way out that door, go find somebody older than you and just ask them to tell you a story about when God was faithful to them in their ordinary days. When God met their needs in ways that they didn't expect And they will be able to tell you that story. I could tell you that story. God's people can tell other people about how God has provided for them in big, mighty, unexpected, even miraculous ways. Because God cares for every single one of his people. And it's actually God's care. And it's God's love. It's God's tender mercy and his grace It's not only that he cares for you, but he intends to use his loving and caring heart in order to draw people to himself and in order to hold his people fast to him. It is God's love that leads us to repentance. It is his caring kindness that leads us to see his goodness. And it's a motivating factor to lead his people to him and to remind us that we should probably stay with him because he's good. If we'd been reading through First and Second Kings, we would have noticed that this is actually a little bit of a standout moment. Uh, throughout First and Second Kings, uh, we see that the kings of Israel are going, they're not doing pretty well. Uh, they're doing really bad, actually. Uh, the kings of Israel, uh, a few kings before this, King Omri, back in First Kings, Uh, At this point, Judah and Israel are split nations. But the king of Israel actually decided to reject the worship of the Lord and to make the worship of Baal, this false Canaanite god, the state-sponsored religion, which is not a great thing to do. And because of that, from that point forward, things are going from bad to worse in the nation of Israel. The things that we can read about of God's covenant discipline that he promises will happen in Deuteronomy if his people turn away from him. God is allowing those things to happen. We read about his judgment and his discipline in Joel and Amos months ago. And so as we're reading through First and Second Kings, we would have seen in the surrounding chapters there were droughts, there was famine, that people didn't have enough money to make bread or food, that the only thing that they could find in order to make soup was actually poisonous. There were sieges because of wars that were so terrible that Israelite cities, people inside of them, were turning to sources of food so terrible and wicked that I I can't even name it right now. And in the midst of God's judgment broadly on the nation of Israel for turning away from him, those who are faithful to him are increasing in number. And God is caring for their simple, ordinary problems. Not only is he raising axe heads out of the water, but he's also providing food. Where Elisha gets 
a few loaves of bread and multiplies it in order to feed 100 people. There are multiple times when people's sons die because of unexpected disease, and either Elijah or Elisha go and raise these people from the dead because God can conquer death. Right When enemy armies are coming to attack, God is giving his faithful people protection, even through his own armies surrounding them as far as the eye can see. God is helping out his people. He is caring for his people. And it is for that very reason that God's people are increasing. When God cares for his people as we remain faithful to him, it's actually very infectious. It's really appealing to those around us. Those who see their lives going bad from bad to worse because they're following false gods can see us as believers as God cares for his people. And as we live faithful lives and we are able to recognize the ways that he's caring for us, we can tell the world about how God cares for his people. And it's appealing. And it draws people to him. Right? The God that we devote our life to is not a God who takes and takes and takes like Baal or whatever false gods are surrounding us in our own world. But we devote our lives to the one true triune God who has cared for us so much that even though he is holding existence together right now, that the only reason any of this still exists in this moment is that God is making sure it continues to exist. And he also sees the distress that you have and he wants your problem to be his problem. God cares and loves so much that Christ came into the world in order to physically deal with our problems, to heal people, to cast out demons, to give real redemption to all of his people. And God promises to never leave us, to never forsake us. Christ says that my sheep hear my voice and that he will never, ever, ever let them go. And he's willing to go to such an extent that he sends his spirit to come and live and dwell inside of us. Because if God is inside of us, then we can never be apart from him ever again. God cares for us that he goes to incredible, great ex extremes in order to make sure we know that he cares for us. Because we're really prone to forget. And we're really prone to look around us and we're, we see the other gods of our world. And we're tempted to follow after them. But God cares for his people to remind us that he's just better. He's just better. Lord Jesus Christ, he cares for you. He came for you. He died. He conquered death. Christ sees you individually. He knows you. Christ loves you and he likes you. We follow Christ because he's actually given us amazing reasons to know that following him, submitting our entire life to him, is actually more full. It's just better than a life apart from him. That's what he promises when he says, I have come to give life to the full, life abundantly. He didn't have to give us reasons 
He could have just said, follow me. I command it. And he did command it. We should follow him because he told us to. But out of God's grace, he also made sure that we would know it's actually just better. I want to close this morning by turning forward to a passage in Scripture in the New Testament, 1 Peter 5. You're welcome to turn there. You don't have to if you just like to listen. But in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, we actually see Peter teaching basically the same lesson that we can draw from 2 Kings 6 about God's care. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7 You've probably read and prayed this before. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Now, importantly, the emphasis of those verses is not pray your anxiety away. It's not pray really hard to feel better. The emphasis of those verses is that As we come to the Lord and we humble our lives before him, as we submit our lives before him, we have a promise that he is going to make our lives better, to at the right time exalt us, to bring us to himself in the new heavens and the new earth. And as we're walking through our days and we face situations that are stressful and anxious, that distress us, we can actually cast them on him and we can know God cares for us. The reason that we give our anxieties to the Lord isn't as like a magic spell to feel better, but instead to know God cares for us. Because he cares for you. And if you are somebody prone to anxiousness, or you're just a normal person, and things in this world make you anxious and stressed, Uh, one of the things that I always am looking to know when I'm feeling anxious is that someone cares for me. And God has said right here, we can give our anxieties to him just to know he cares for us. He cares for you. I would maybe even beg you this morning, that is you're looking forward into this new year, It's January 2nd, so you've probably already made some New Year's resolutions if you're that kind of person. But make 2022 a year of prayer, a year of dependence, a year of walking through every day, praying more than you did last year. For some of you, that's going to be really easy because you're struggling and you're working hard to know what a life of prayer looks like. Let me just assure you that that is a normal struggle to be working through. But we can be encouraged to come in prayer and in worship knowing that as we are praying, we are praying to someone who really cares for us. For others of you, praying more than you did last year might actually be really hard because you are a prayer warrior. And to that end, I say, thank you so much. Would you be an encouragement to us and pray for us that we would learn to pray better? And would the infectiousness of the knowledge that you have that God is a caring and loving and good God would that we all come to know that more deeply. God really and truly and deeply cares for you. Let's pray.